1: One day, the coach for the boys' team asked me, do you want to play a real game with real referees, with real goals? Yes! Then he said, well, because we didn't have, you know, girls' or or women's soccer back then. So he said, well, we need to cheat a little bit. And I knew that you shouldn't do that, but I listened to him, and he said, we just change your first name. Okay. So instead of Pia, we call you Pelle, and that's a boy's name.
2: Welcome to Coffee and Football. I'm Sebastian Alvarado, and I'm the host of this show, where I sit down for a coffee with some of the most influential profiles in the game to learn about their life and career journeys. We're now back after a little break with an amazing lineup of new guests. First out is Pia Sundhage, a former professional and Swedish national team player, one of the pioneers of the women's game, who then became one of the most renowned coaches in world soccer. She just completed her latest task as the coach of the Swedish national team at the European tournament in Holland, which became her last tournament as a national team coach. Prior to that, she was the coach of the U.S. national team, winning two Olympic gold medals in a row and earning the Coach of the Year award at the 2013 FIFA Gala. Pia tells an amazingly inspiring story filled with anecdotes and leadership lessons. And although she's been at the very top of the game for over 40 years, she remains beyond humble. We ended up speaking for over two hours, and I really didn't want to leave anything out, so I decided to break it into two parts, with the second part being released next week. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this one, part one, with Pia Sundhage. Pia Sundhage, welcome to Coffee and Football. It's it's a pleasure to to meet you first and foremost, and obviously an honor to have this conversation with you. So, um, or actually, I should say, it's uh, nice to meet you again. We've met before. I'm not sure if you remember it.
1: I'm not sure either. When was that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm gonna forgive you for this one I, I, I was—I uh, must have been 12 or 13 And uh, I was playing a youth tournament It might have been in Jönköping Which is going towards the mid part of the country Might have been there in Uppsala One of those places It was in Gothenburg and it was in Stockholm that That's all I remember And in one of the games or the tournament I got like some kind of an MVP award And uh, you gave me one of these little technique balls mm, There you go <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, at least I, we met in soccer at least. Exactly. So it's been a, it's been a few years. Um, anyways, I, I typically do these uh, interviews in New York. Uh, now we're on your home field, basically. But can you just give me a bit of the setting on, on where we are here today?
1: Well, uh, this is convenient for me because after this interview, I'm going a little bit south. So we are in south of Stockholm, and this is a house. And uh, my assistant coach, she lives here with uh, her family. Two kids. And, um, you know, when we uh, discuss about uh, the next game or analyze the last game, very often I come here and uh, so I know where the keys. So that's why we're here.
2: <laughs> we had to get in through the, via the garage and there was a hidden key in there somewhere. <laughs> um, Since the theme of this is coffee and football, and we have been drinking coffee, but how do you like your coffee?
1: Uh, strong and with a little bit of milk.
2: Yeah, had a good taste and uh, strong and well-made. And, and you've been home now, well, in, in Sweden and in Stockholm for, for a little while, coaching the Swedish national team. Does it feel like home, home for good? Because you've been on the road for several years before that, mm-hmm. which comes with a certain lifestyle and routines. And
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's a little, little bit unusual the fact that I actually leave my country. I love my... Home, so to speak. Uh, but uh, this soccer ball opens up a lot of doors and um, makes me um, brave, the courage to leave my country. I've done it a couple of times. So in, in the U.S., I've been there, you know, three times, different times. And um, when I left, uh, you know, when I got uh, got the job to be the coach for the U.S. team, that was a dream. Uh, and could imagine to coach the best team in the world uh, and after five years i got out opportunity to coach a swedish team and uh, we hosted the european championship so that would was my probably uh, my first thought was great to come back home and coach my, my own country and i've been here for this is my fifth year I'm ready to open up another door because this is the last thing I'll do uh, with the national team. So after the European Championship, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do.
2: How does that feel?
1: Exciting. Uh, honestly, I thought going back to Sweden in 2013, I, th- I thought I would stay here now. Enough of this traveling. But, you know, if you ask me today... You never know because, again, the soccer ball opens doors and, um, you know, I love to be on the field. Two goals, green grass, great players, who wants to improve the game. Uh, That's that's all I need.
2: And that's something, obviously, we have in any place in the world. So on that note, if you just could pick any place and go and coach, are there any thoughts like that?
1: I could go anywhere. That's that's a nice part of it because uh, I've been in different cultures. I've been in Norway, I've been in in China, and and, but uh, the fact that even though I don't speak Chinese, uh, there is a soccer language, and I just love that. Uh, I, I breathe soccer, and and. The reason why I dared to be in an interview with you is because of that soccer ball. I've been around people uh, who want to um, uh, improve, and, and it's all about the environment and performance. And uh, we have in common the soccer ball. So if it's uh, outside Stockholm, outside Sweden, or anywhere, would do. Yeah, we we'll look forward to
2: to seeing what, what, what that brings. <laughs> yeah, let's <you>. see. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll, you'll just stay home and lay back and read a book. You never know. And, and play your guitar. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, obviously we're here in the in the lead up before the your final tournament, the European Championship that's coming up in in the Netherlands. We. All remember last year's uh, fantastic uh, Olympics final. Hmm. But w- what are the feelings going into this, you know, last tournament?
1: You know, I get used to the feeling, first of all, the last couple of months. And um, what we do right now is to make sure that uh, we do whatever it takes, try to find uh, certain things we could do better, improve, or uh, do in a different way.
2: In what sense?
1: Well, everything pretty much. Uh, we talk about the way we play, the the way we behave outside the field. Uh, we want to be generous, uh, you know, to create that environment. You know, we want to bring out the best performance in each other. And that's all almost a mantra. You, you say it over and over again. And then keep on reminding them, this is the last thing we're going to do. So make sure you enjoy. Enjoy the moment. I remember, I said that very often with the US team, because we were winning and winning. You know, Yeah, check, another game, check, another game. But please stop and and enjoy the moment. So for me, uh, soccer is so much more than a gold medal or a silver medal. It's uh, my way to live, and I really want to enjoy life.
2: Yeah, hearing on that, even though it's sometimes easier said than done, and it's a perspective that we tend to forget a bit, and I want to get back to this, I, um, but I'd like to ask you a little bit. I'm just interested in, in knowing what's a, a typical day for you, and do you have set routines and a set time that you get up and?
1: Wow, I, I don't have a typical day. That's, that's I think that's great. This part of in this work actually. So, um, if I have time, I go up in the morning, um, 7 o'clock, uh, if I don't have um, anything in front of me during the day, I go for a run, a walk, or something like that, and then have a breakfast. And then it's uh, phone calls, uh, it's um, watching a lot of video, a lot of games, so... Now I can actually, you know, when uh, you have uh, internet, you can watch any game if you want to. And all the games in Alstons can. And the uh, last, well, this week I will actually see, see three games sitting in a stance. So I'm traveling in Sweden. But it's funny, uh, they think that I, you know, uh, spend a lot of time in in the car. But compared to when I lived in in the U.S., it took a flight from the East Coast to the West Coast. So uh, I think it's it's easy trip. You know, I go down to Stock, go down to Gothenburg, takes five hours, something
2: like that. That's a piece of cake. Do you typically drive them?
1: Very often I do that because that makes me uh, freedom to... Because if I swing by, Esk is new enough, for instance, I can do that. And um, and sometimes I take the train. I like to take the train. That's the, For me, it's the best way to travel, actually.
2: Yeah, I agree. Do you have any workout routines? No.
1: But I promise myself I need to stay fit, sort of. <laughs> So uh, I make sure that I do something four times a week. But it doesn't have to be a lot, but as long as I feel like, well, this is with some sort of workout. When we have camps, most of us, at least in the coaching team, we get up early in the morning and, and run a little bit and play soccer tennis. My friend, Mark Krikorian, he is one of the reasons why I actually, you know, moved to the U.S. I was assistant coach for Philadelphia Charge, and he's a champ when it comes to soccer tennis. And I just love it. I think about him you know, every time we play, and we have different teams, and uh, you know, it's a great way to create a nice environment and an atmosphere. Yeah,
2: and I and I think just having some kinds of workout routines is not so much about only having to be super fit, also it's it's a mental disconnect. Is there anything that you do to keep evolving yourself and in your leadership? Like, do you have typical readings or do you speak to somebody? Do you have mentors? Like, what do you do to keep constantly keep evolving?
1: Uh, I have uh, two mentors and uh, none of them understands anything about soccer, which I think is great. But they are all women and uh, they know leadership. And, um, once in a while, once a month or something like that, I talk to them. Sometimes we have a meeting and reflect on my coaching. I also read. It's funny. I read, I could read one book three times, different pages. And now I read about feedback. I take some notes and, um, I just stop and, and reflect because I think there are many coaches that they are saying very good things. You know, express themselves in a wonderful way. But uh, what separates a good coach, I think, from a very good coach is you actually go from words to action. It's so easy, like yesterday, I had a a speech and and, uh, I think, you know, a couple of things that's clever and it's good. But after that, I sit down and think, do I actually go from words to action? And that's the hardest part because, um, you know, sometimes you don't. Ah, shoot could have done better uh, but it's a reminder I, I do believe it's important to reflect what you're actually doing and then I have sisters I two brothers as well but those three sisters they in some sense they they have been leaders and just have a chat with them it's so refreshing because they don't know anything about soccer and they look at the problems or the issue we talk about in different ways and and uh, it's eye-opener very often and um Read books uh, uh, like uh, uh, John Whitmore. I think it's, it's, it's tough, it's difficult, but I try. And um, th- there are certain things I'm looking for in certain places. So, What
2: would a, an example be?
1: Well, he, he talks about um, coaching about awareness and uh, to be accountable or responsible for certain things. And I could just read three sentences. And then stop there and try to put uh, action, what have I have done or what other people do. And, you know, interested in how I can improve my coaching. Because now we have some young people coming up. And uh, I can't treat them or coach them the same way I, I coach uh, Caroline Seger. She's been there forever. So, I, and, and that makes me young, uh, always on my toes.
2: Yeah, and I think it's interesting also with the sort of younger generation coming up. We'll go get back to this a little bit, but, you know, the way you grew up and the type of society that you grew up in, it was a lot about the team, Mm. solidarity, and certain values, and you're not supposed to stand out. And now we see a younger generation coming up, and it's much more about me, and a lot about personal kind of instant gratification and via social media and, and, and so on, right? So how would you say that your approach is different towards kind of that younger generation that comes with a very, very different mentality and, and upbringing, obviously?
1: I, I have the same kind of view. And uh, as you said, you know, when I was, was a player, they said, you have to stand out. And now, well, it was just teamwork. Uh, back then, you didn't have to work on teamwork. You, that's the culture. Now it's a little bit of an op- opposite Because we do have players, they know this. I I like that. They know their strength. The young people, they know their strength. And very often they say, what's in it for me? Which I think is good. But I try to remind them of this is a team game. You have to, you know, uh, play with somebody. So I think sometimes they forget to turn around and ask your teammate, what could I do for you? Because for me, that is teamwork. You, You help each other out. Because I do have my strength, uh, correct, but I also have some weaknesses. So, and and you need to get some help, but also give some help to your teammate. So, look to your left, what do you have? Look to your right, what do you have? And uh, what's your part in what's your role in this uh, soccer game? And um, you can't do that just once. You have to do it over and over again. And I feel that the younger player today they are very motivated. They know what they want, but I would like them to be more engaged in the team. Because if, you know, we are different strengths, but if we win everybody, everybody is a winner. And that's the whole idea of, if you look at the word solidarity, I'm born with that word in my family. And, and it's, it's easy for me to look back. I know that I alone, I'm pretty much useless, but together with others, I could be the best. And and that's a wonderful feeling and, and that's the way I want to live and coach.
2: You mentioned just here earlier and, and I think also going from words to action, which to your point, it's very easy to say things. And I think we've all been in different environments and also culturally very different. I live in, in the US and have been there for a bit where they're very good at speaking up and both individually or or coaches talking and there's a lot of great big words but I don't always see the action so how do you look at that and do you have any concrete tips because I want to learn this too how do I go from saying some big words or if I'm a young player if I don't go to action it's not worth perhaps all that much
1: well I would say first of all words are important That's some sort of direction. That's some sort of communication, which is important. But I would uh, respect you if you actually go from words to action. And what I try to do is to remind them. And in order to do that, I I ask questions. She has decided to, to work on the right foot. Okay. She wants to improve her crossings, for instance. And, um, when she comes back, she hasn't done that as much as she was supposed to do. So my question will be, for instance, how many times you've done it? How, do, how many times do you think you need to do it in order to improve in a real game? What kind of, what um, I would say the obstacles? What, what, what makes it so hard? Could you go around that? So. For me, it's all about questions, to to ask a better question that her answer will make her take the next step. And I need to be very patient and persistent in order to uh, you know find a, a change. And it's hard with change. It's uh, over time. So you need patience. And I usually bring up uh, Bob Dylan. When I read his book, he was saying that uh, I became what I was practicing, and I love that expression because if you want to improve your uh, crosses, you have to practice, train over and over again. And all of a sudden, somebody in the stands will say, she has a great right foot. If you translate that to the real life, I want to be kind or I want to be a good listener. You have to do the same thing. You have actually to, to remind yourself, make yourself aware of what kind of person do I want to be? And what do I need to do? And um, that is practice. So I think life is practicing. And in order to give yourself some cred, you need to sit down and and reflect. And sometimes, I talk for myself, sometimes uh, I do a pretty good job, sometimes I don't. (laughs) It goes ups and and downs, like life itself.
2: Yeah. And it seems like by having that approach of, of asking questions, it also gets people thinking. And I think it's pretty far from this uh, notion of management by fear, which is another thing that we might not see as much in Sweden, but in America, there's many more coaches who have that kind of a style, which is more about, you know, really yelling and being really tough (laughs) and, you
1: know. I heard about that when I, my, my first year in the US and coaching by fear and, and I asked them, so what about me? Well, uh, talked about inspiration and so on. And uh, and Kristen Lilly, she says something very nice. And I use that as often as I I can. She said, when I was in Boston as a coach, she said, your passion for soccer is contagious. And just saying that made me aware of, okay, that's one of my strengths. You know, show with my my body, with everything I do, this is uh, the passion. This is important. I do believe that you can do it. And I try to avoid to say, this is not good enough. Sometimes I actually did. But before I did that, I have seven, eight times I was trying to be, uh, you know, uh, encourage them to to try a little bit different or a little bit more or whatever it is. But uh, I try to avoid to say, this is not good enough.
2: Picking up a little bit on the, we mentioned uh, solidarity briefly, and and obviously that comes from your upbringing. You were born in Marbeck, which is a little town. Yeah. (laughs) Outside of another fairly small town called El Risi in 1960, February 13th. Correct. That is, yeah, I I know it because it's my brother's birthday as well, and that's why I always remember it. So, (laughs) How would you describe your upbringing and what did Sweden and the society here looked like back then? We're talking about sort of the 60s going into mm. the 70s.
1: Well, I was lucky because I had grown up people, uh, smart, clever, and they uh, paid attention to me. I'm six years old, and instead of just toss the ball, I want to kick the ball. And that was very unusual. I was the only girl that wanted to play soccer. And, uh, you know, I played every day with the boys, my neighbors. And one day, the coach for the the boys' team asked me, do you want to play a real game with real referees, with real goals? Yes! Then he said, well, because we didn't have, you know, girls' or, or women's soccer back then. So he said, well... We need to cheat a little bit. And okay, I knew that you shouldn't do that, but I listened to him and he said, we just change your first name. Okay? So instead of Pia, we call you Pelle, and that's a boy's name. And I thought, okay. And I think people in that Marbeck thought I was a little bit weird, unusual, strange, but that was okay, because I was a happy child and the same thing with my mom and dad they uh they had no clue about soccer but they saw that i was happy so i played for 2 years and my name was pelle that was fine we're just playing and then i moved to uh we moved uh, to lisaham and uh the same thing back then you have gymnastic girls they were playing brembol. i don't know what you call it in
2: english it's uh like softball
1: yeah you could say that yeah, yeah? And boys that were playing uh, soccer at those hours, and uh, then another my teacher she asked me, "Do you want to play with the boys?" And just asked me that. Uh, says something about what she had seen and paid attention to me. So I played. I have gymnastic with, with the boys and uh, played. Uh, I was playing the school team and so on. And uh, another teacher said, "Well, we do have a, a women's team." I was 11 at the time. And we do have a, um, a women's team. You will have a blue jersey and, uh, you know, IFK Ulri Saham. So uh, I went over there and I played with old women, I thought. That was 25, 26, or something like that. So that was my first game in a real, uh, real match, so to speak. So I was unusual, but uh, the love for the soccer ball... Uh, you know, people asked me if I wanted to play and uh, I was allowed to play soccer.
2: And your parents uh, were a big support in that.
1: Yeah. They, you know, they, they, um, they said, well, as long as you have fun and as long as you're healthy and, you know, if you behave, that's fine. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the way I was treated as a child. I could tell that everything I wanted to do was play soccer and um uh, you know expectation of what a girl could do changed a little bit, and i was you know, was happy about that, of course.
2: what did your parents do for a living?
1: My mom she a uh, waitress all her life, and my dad he a uh, bus driver pretty much all his life as well
2: What's well, interesting you mentioned that they had well really no clue about soccer, but still providing that kind of support and making sure they had fun uh What would you say was the most kind of important advice that they gave you that you carry with you today?
1: Enjoy. Enjoy the soccer ball. I think that is a uh, and, and, and it's just funny because my daddy said both feet on the ground. Remember where I come from. Uh, it's good if you have a sense of humor as well. And my mom, she gave me wings. You can do whatever you want. You can, you can be whoever you want. Just try. And that combination, I would like to think that it was good for me. And, um, you know, sometimes it worked out well. Sometimes it didn't, but, uh, I was always welcome to come back and I have my, I was, you know, s- safe and, and sec- secure back home in my family. But if you want to try, just do it. If it doesn't work, just come back.
2: And then you end up moving because of soccer to one of the sort of bigger teams and better teams. Uh, do you remember that moment?
1: I do. Uh, I remember I watched uh, just a couple of seconds on TV when Sweden played against Finland. This is 70, 73. And I was 13 years old at the time, and I thought, hmm, that seems to be cool. I could do that. Just that feeling, I can do that. And uh, after that, I I moved from Ulissa Ham, and I played in Fallship, you know, an hour's drive. But I didn't move because my dad said, I don't think she is ready to move." from home I was 15 14. I couldn't even cook a meal I was useless and, and now it's better she stays home uh, and then I took the bus to Fall shopping, and coming back it didn't go the whole way so my dad has to pick me up uh, halfway or something like that and um, it was so um, it was fun fantastic exciting to play with uh, uh, with the best players. So we played in the highest division, and um, as soon as I uh, graduated from school, I'm 18. I uh, went to Gothenburg to the best team in Sweden, and that was my lucky day. And, uh, and the team was uh, g Jitex vehicle. Uh, and uh, that was very important because then I had a chance to play with the best players and uh, uh, encourage me to do even, you know, to improve my game and try to do different things on the field.
2: How did that move happen? Did they call you and try to recruit you or
1: Uh no, we played in the I was, uh, my first game in the national team I was 15 and then I met these players in in Ytex. So when I, you know, finished school, we had, uh, you know, we uh, had some sort of relationship with the players. Uh, the, the coach were never involved because he was I want to play with the best team. Is it Ytex or is it Xabec? Or, no, I don't dare to move to Stockholm because of the Hammarby. So, uh, no, it ended up with going to Gothenburg.
2: What would a contract look like back then?
1: didn't have a contract. We just played. So you were,
2: I'm assuming you were working on the side then?
1: Yeah, I've done that all my life, actually. Even though when I finished playing when I was 36. Uh, and um, I, last couple of years I played, well, I worked 75%. So it was a full-time job. But I uh, only one year I went to Italy, to Lazio, and then I became a professional player. I didn't have to work, but I don't think it was professional because we didn't practice enough. I thought so I had to practice extra and so on. I was a little bit crazy. 24, 25 years old.
2: Describe that moment. So you moved to, uh, you moved to Rome.
1: Yeah. Uh, I lived in Rome for almost a year. And, um, that, that was, that was huge for me. I didn't know any Italian at all. So I went, um, I learned the language by going to the stadium when the men played. And I went there four hours before kickoff. And you mm-hmm. found people around. And when they recognized I was not Italian, where do you come from? I come from Sweden. Ah, from Sweden. Sven-Jure Eriksson, Lidholm. So they come about uh, talking about men soccer players so then I started to talk to them and that's how I learned uh, Italian and um, we didn't win the Scudetto it, was, it runs up and uh, I played with a player Carolina Muraccia, who later became a coach for uh, Italy uh, smart, smart uh, player smart person but I just played for one year because uh, the next year I will back to Sweden. I want to get my education, so that's why I have the highest education in in soccer today. So I'm I'm happy because it was hard to choose between being professional player, sort of, uh, stay in Rome, fantastic city, or go back to Sweden and and get your education. But I went back to Sweden. I'm very happy for that.
2: Uh, what would you say were some of the some of the main differences and, and learnings in the way the game was played and, and how it was prepared and in the lead up to games?
1: Well, a couple of things. Uh, when it comes to soccer, uh, you could be you could the coaching style could be different. I was so sure this is how you should coach. Totally wrong. There are so many different ways to coach. And there are also different ways to practice. I was born with, well, every time we warm up, for instance, always with a ball. But here in Italy, you had uh, one of the players taking us uh, around the field over and over again. I thought it was boring, but I was professional. You just uh, do what you've been told to do. Um, shooting exercise was interesting because we were standing in a line and we got so many instructions how you could actually take a shot from different angles. And I didn't do that in Sweden. It was more like different lines and in different ways. But uh, they were so accurate uh, with how you should take that shot when you're on the left side of a goal or if you take far post or whatever. And um the games, <laughs> uh, it was very emotional. I could tell you yeah, that the coach was very emotional. And uh, he was talking in a different way compared to to Swedish coaches. And technical—that was something I really enjoyed. You didn't have to face; you could face your own goal and get the, the ball on your feet. And uh, was on a left foot or right foot. And uh, and then again, it was—they were proud of that they were technical. I thought, well, I was pretty technical. When I come from Sweden, but compared to Italian players, mm, I was okay.
2: Did you feel like you improved your game a lot?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, a little bit. Because you change your style a little bit. But um I think we didn't practice enough and a few games. But if I stayed there a couple of years, I think it would be differently.
2: But you made the decision that it was time to go back to Sweden and then you can combine that with uh, with your education. Yeah. What did you study?
1: Sports, specifically f- soccer. So we were 10 students, the only woman, of course, uh, nine men and... Uh, The former coach for Sweden, Erik Hamrien, my class. Uh, Håkan Eriksson, U21, my class as well. So it's funny because uh, we pretty much took the same kind of path to elite soccer and in the the national team.
2: Do you still remain in touch?
1: Oh, Oh, yeah.
2: Must have been a pretty good education then.
1: Yes, I would say so. Very good.
2: Did you know already then that or had set that goal that you wanted to become a coach?
1: I can't remember exactly when I want to be coach, but I had a coach in in, uh, GTX, Kai Hansson, and I had so many questions, uh, opinions about, you know, building up the game or warm up uh, with the ball or how many players. And and he said to me, well, you you are a pain in the neck. He said, it's not that easy to be a coach, isn't it? I said, yeah. So he took me to education, the first step. And then uh, I'm very grateful for that because now I got a chance to know a little bit more about soccer. So uh, I just, you know, step by step, I just became a coach.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
2: How would you today describe your coaching style?
1: Um, There are different kinds of coaching styles, but I would say... I would hope that the play say that I'm positive. I, I want to coach what is healthy instead of saying, well, you shouldn't do that. It's not good enough. Uh, uh, I would rather say, well, this is how we should do it. Tell me what, what do you need? And could you do it more often? So a, a positive, uh, a positive style and, um, and, and choose between sometimes you need to, put down your foot, sometimes you need to have the discussion, and sometimes you just delegate. And uh, in order to do that, you need to know your players. So hopefully Christian Lilly is right. My passion for soccer is contagious because they listen and, and uh, they get the, you know, the message come
2: across the players. It seems like you've maintained a pretty consistent line, so to speak, even though you've gone from all the extremes...
1: Yeah, <laughs> and in China as well. Exactly. So, but uh, I would say that um, there is, first of all, I need to know who I'm coaching, what's the kind of group, uh, and, and uh, that's the first part of it. What do they expect? Because that's different from the US team, Chinese team, and Swedish team, of course. But at the same time, I keep my values uh, and keep um, yeah, my personality and put that together. And in order to be successful, I really do need a coaching team behind the team, so to speak. So because I, I, I know my, my weaknesses, I know my strength. And um, my weaknesses, I have to look around because I have people around me. And I got some help from uh, from people in the U.S. to pick the right coaches and the medical staff and so on. And the same thing in Sweden. So I made sure that I have people I want to work with and they are not like me, they are different. And in, in total, you know, I try to keep my, my personality. And and then again, like my mentor said, who are you? Well, I know who I am. Well, are you sure? Yeah. And then I had to reflect uh, what, kind of, um, what kind of signs and, and how people, how they look at me. But then the next question was, Who do I want to be? Because I want to um, improve my coaching. But overall, I I feel my dad and my mom, you know, both feet on the ground. Don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, A little bit of humor would would make some good. And you can do whatever you want if you really try.
2: Where does your confidence come from?
1: I would think it comes from both the the, the soccer ball. Uh, I'm good at it. So uh, and but also comes from to get distance from this performance. It comes from my family. You know, you're good. No matter if you kick the ball into the goal or not, you you will do. That's fine. Uh, you here, you you my sister, and um, I think that combination with environment that I'm I'm okay. Even though I'm not playing or coaching, and at the same time the courage uh, i think that the the soccer ball again opens up a lot of doors and i remember clearly when i went to la uh, this is um, 2007 december my first camp in la sitting on the on on the plane thinking what am i doing and I, I told myself if if i'm not successful it doesn't work actually i could take the same plane back Because I do have my family back. And I I think that kind of thoughts, you know, I'm I'm relaxed. And sometimes it goes very well, sometimes it doesn't.
2: So since you touched on it your first time in coaching the U.S. national team, but just to rewind the tape a little bit, take me through that moment when you received that phone call and somebody asked you, are you interested in this job?
1: Yeah, he told me, uh, I think it was Gulati. Yeah, he called me and he said, you got the job. This is what the second time because I I went to an interview two years earlier, I think, but I got the job. So they had called you. Yeah, they called. Yeah, he called me and I picked up the phone and I, uh, well, we want you to be the coach for the US team. I was just shouting straight out. And, uh, my friend, uh, she, she just looked at me and Gulati said, I take that for a yes. You want the job? Yes, yes. And I was thrilled. I can still remember that moment. I know where I were say, you? I was in Örebro at the time, uh, in a corner of a, a room. I know exactly where I was. And I put down the phone and I said, oh, shoot, I am the coach of the U.S. team, best team in the world. And then we started well, to have to plan when I'm moving and so on, and a lot of paperwork and, you know. But uh, that was um, a fantastic moment in my
2: soccer life. And then what happened?
1: I got to LA and um, I remember we had lunch. That's the first. And I, I know many of the players and know of them. Yeah, I've seen them play and I have opinions about how they should and shouldn't play. Anyway, so um, my first words, because I wanted to have a, a, a great kickoff. I wanted them to, to feel and, and, and know that this is something special. You got a Swedish coach. Watch out. And, um, I didn't know exactly what to say. And I-, I felt that this is fantastic. I didn't, I didn't speak, uh, English that well either, I thought. Because you wanted, I wanted to be emotional. Fantastic. I thought about marvelous. Well, that's Oxford English, I believe. Uh, it's awesome. I can't even spell to that word. So, What should I do? And I thought about change. So I was standing in front of all the players, and the first thing I said to the players was, Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving and then you better start swimming or you sink like a stone for the times they are changing. And then I got the word change, changing. And, and, uh, you look, look around. I remember Abby, she was just looking around like this. What is this? <laughs> but something really important happened, I felt. They were smiling. And they were uh, clapping, here we go, here we go. So it was this good start. And I took the chance that moment saying, I'm I'm just a coach. I need your help. I need your left foot. I need your presence in the air and so on. And then just, that was a start, a little bit of a surprise. And I felt, okay, here we go. And then it went on. They bought into it. They bought into it. And that was a very, they could have reacted differently and that would be hard. But, uh, you know, Americans, they are really good at times, you know, just boosting you. and that's...
2: That was actually the first thing I, I thought of as well, because I'm assuming that reaction would have been quite different if that was in China, or even in Sweden for that matter.
1: Yeah, I did differently in Sweden, because I thought, I can't do the same thing. So the first thing I said to the Swedish players mm-hmm. was showing them video. And it was actually Barcelona, uh, and it's an uh, uh, attacker. He is uh, in and out in the attacking style. Movement off the ball. And I was thinking, what kind of music should we have? None. It was dead silence. And could you imagine in the room, dead silence, a videotape, you know, um, uh, showing soccer attacking. And then I said, uh, after four minutes, and I said, well, every single minute, second, you make a decision on the field regardless if you're 5 yards from the ball or 50 yards from the ball you make decisions and a good team player makes good decisions together and if you have if you have the same thought together and if you have a lot of fun this will be a good team and they just looked at me and said nothing are you ready and they said oh yeah yeah a little bit like that it was <laughs> american style but i thought it was fairly effective uh, because it was all about movement off the ball, work together, and attacking style.
2: Just going back to the U.S. national team for a little bit, you come in, I believe you had about nine, maybe ten months to, to prepare. Eight. Eight months was, uh, yeah. for the Olympics in 2008. In stepping into that and start working with a team, what were some of the things that you identified that you really needed to work on?
1: Well, first of all, that change, because I'm a, a new coach, it can't be too big of a change because they will lose the confidence, they will be confused. but it also it couldn't be too small because they wouldn't recognize it. So it has to be something in between to make the difference. And, and you have to keep in mind this is a very good team. Uh, I think so many coaches could have won that uh, Olympics with that team. I had 2008. The thing for me was I felt that uh, they went on to the next game over and over again without, you know, well, reflect and analyze. So my biggest job, thought, I thought, was keep possession a little bit longer in the attack, higher up in the field, and um, enjoy when you win the game. And analyze when you What well, was good? We won the game 3-0. Great. Three goals. That's good. But how did we come up with those, all those chances or how could we defend in a good way? When it comes to defending, uh, you, I come from what we would call zonal defending in Sweden. And I know that April Hendricks and the other coaches have done the same thing, but I wanted to well, try to improve that a little bit. And uh, that took a while, uh, not so much in the, in the back four, but in the midfield. So it was some tactical stuff, but it just tweaked a little bit because I had a good team. It's fun because I, I usually say that they made me look good. It's it's a good team. So in eight months you can't do that much, but we did it together. And and uh, I remember the first game against Norway. We lost that game. Our f- very first loss. But the way we regrouped and and, uh, perfect for American team, you know, coming back and do better. The the players helped us quite a bit by the way they reacted.
2: And you obviously had some very strong personalities on that team and some some pretty big star players. Were there any things that in your leadership you needed to change or approach differently in dealing with those types of personalities? No,
1: it was something happened. It was... uh, if we played Brazil just before we the send-off game. Abby Wombach, she broke a leg. So we lost uh, the big star. And um, uh, so many good things happened then. And by the way, my assistant coach, Jill Ellis, uh, she was smart enough. Uh, instead of putting another attacker in her spot, Abby Wombach, she said, why don't we play Angela Euclid? And that was a winning move. And I was thinking, Angela Euclid, she's a midfielder. Uh, she's fairly good technique um, she's calm and but she was the link between midfield and forward and I would say when I look back the fact that I listened to Jill Ellis and uh, her way to analyze this specific moment and not uh, you know when Abby goes down well it is what it is <laughs> you have to move on and we were not emotionally well carried away we just start work on and i think that's a that's a winning moment the fact that i listened to gil alice we had angela huklis in that position and um, eventually won the olympic gold medal
2: can you describe what the structure looks like in the u.s with the national team and maybe compare it to say sweden because because that's not very common in, in many other parts
1: well, a couple of things, and and remember, this is uh you know I don't know exactly how it looks like today, but back then, uh, two thousand eight, uh, we didn't have a league to begin with, and of course, if if uh, you had a contract with the U.S. team, and if you were cut, that, that's that's pretty tough. But that is my job, and uh, there been a couple of players. It's been I think it's been tough, but as long as she wasn't surprised. I think I've done a fairly good job, at least, and um, because it's all about performance. 2011, they had a club team as well, so they were paid from two sides, pretty much. I think the biggest difference uh, between the U.S. and Swedish team, the fact that the Swedish team's players, she doesn't get paid uh, from the, the, the federation in that way, like a U.S. team. But I felt we had so many more days together with the U.S. team compared to the Swedish team. And I think I had more impact with uh, my way of leadership, coaching, and uh, looking at, at soccer with the U.S. team compared to the Swedish team. We have few days with the Swedish team, and I think that's the biggest difference. If you get cut here in, in Sweden, you still do have your, your salary and you play your, your soccer with your club team. So I would say that that's the, the biggest difference, which make it so hard for, for um, the Swedish team to win a medal in the World Cup or Olympics. Um, the difference between Sweden and Germany, for instance, if you take this European Championship, the league in Sweden that goes from April to uh, late October, with a short break during the European Championship. While Germany, they start in in September and they end up in May. So the coach, Steffi uh, Steffi Bra- Jones, she has them from from well, late May and can com- prepare them for the European Championship. but well, we don't. So in that aspect, Norway and Sweden, it, it, I would say it's a little bit tougher to uh, to prepare the team for European Championship because of the league. But it is what it is, and you have to do make the right priorities. And sometimes you have a good timing, you can do a fairly good job.
2: If you have to pick out one moment or the first thing that comes to mind of your best moments with the US team, which moment would that be?
1: 2011, the quarterfinal against Brazil. We, uh, we 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 uh, are one lead up, and then something happened in the box. And I believe that um, I see both Bueller and Marta on the ground. I was absolutely sure that Marta would be sent off because she, she cheated. But Bueller, she was sent off because she took down Marta in the box. So from having this sense of we have one player up, right now we have one player down, and uh, they got a PK and they scored 1-1, and then extra time, they scored 2-1. And Marta again, and she was phenomenal. However, we have some good plays in the US, so what's happening in its extra time is 122nd minute, I think. Uh, Christiane, she has the ball on our right side. And um, Christy Rampone, she takes the ball, and uh, Christiana falls, but they don't get a, a free kick. And Christy plays the ball into Carly Lloyd. She takes a couple of steps, heads up, played wide to Megan Rampino. And I'm thinking, Megan Rampino, we worked on crosses on the far post, on the far post. Could you please put it on the far post? And I was looking at, where's Abby? Where's Abby? It takes forever. I can see the ball flying. It takes ages. And when Abby, with her perfect style and presence in the air, when she heads the ball and, and score that two two goal and then win and win on PK's. That is my moment in, in my soccer life as a
0: coach. It has been a huge wholehearted effort from the States. Rapino back! Two Two That's what you call USA Razzle Dazzle.
1: It's almost like a movie. But if that had been an American movie, I'd say, "Oh, that's this typical boring movie." But does that happen in the real life?
2: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did. Please subscribe on itunes and write a review i would really appreciate it as we grow this podcast one listener at a time if you have any feedback or ideas feel free to send me an email at sebastian at coffee and dot com. you can also link up with me via twitter the handle is at coffees football stay tuned for the next episode part two with pia sundhage it will be another amazing one thanks again and have a great week